This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. And coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia, this is Franchise Today. Today is Wednesday, December 11th. Don't know about you, but do I ever wish that there was a little more time between Thanksgiving and Christmas this year? Only three weeks between them, and we're already down one with just two more to go. It's definitely going to be a mad scramble for yours truly, but no mad scrambles here today, as we've got a great show lined up with Dale Carnegie's Senior VP of Franchising, John Cavilli. John's going to be talking with us about how a 107-year-old company has remained relevant and successfully franchises and refranchises its services with an eye toward millennials. But first, my thanks again to the Little Jim's CEO, Alex Bingham, for sharing his pearls of wisdom with us last week. How cool was it to learn that Alex was actually a Little Jim kid back when he was just two or three years old, to later then go on to a 20-or-so-year so career with the company, culminating in his current role as CEO. What a great story. Please be sure to download it if you've yet to do so. And with that said, it's on to the front of the house, and we begin there with this week's birthday greetings. Many happy returns this week to Josh Wall, Ron Wolf, Court Williams, Don DeBolt, Dan Olson, Jerry Fernandez, J.D. Draper, Chris Bukalavis, Paul Rocchio, David French, David Misa, Babs Barnett, Barbara Moran Goodrich, Frank Mangano, Jonathan Kaiser, and Roger Studebaker. Happy birthday, one and all. Also, today in the front of the house, I want to call your attention to a great write-up on succession planning that I found online at Franchising.com. It really dovetails nicely into the theme of today's upcoming interview. In it, industry pros talk about succession planning and explain what it is and isn't. Jeff Bannon at the Rawls Group explains that it's not just simple estate planning, but rather it's a process. He goes on to say that the development of a succession plan requires some really heavy lifting on the front end, anywhere from 12 to 20 months of work with a team of advisors. That's certainly quite a bit more than the idea many people have of just sitting down with an attorney for a few hours to document an estate plan. I'll link the full piece up on the Franchise Today Facebook page so that you can check it out for yourself and give it a full read. Right now, though, let's take a quick break, and then I'll be right back with Dale Carnegie's John Cavelli to talk more about public speaking, personal development, and training, and how Dale Carnegie has maintained market leadership in this space for more than 100 years through both franchising and with a very deliberate and proactive refranchising program. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, Stan Friedman here with a word about Transitive, an amazing marketing platform that actually delivers what others can only imagine, accurate, dependable results that are second to none. All right, without getting too deep into the weeds, Transitive connects franchisees' customer data from all sources providing high-octane fuel for their marketing engines. They then deploy machine learning, yes, artificial intelligence, 
which identifies various customer traits and habits, attributes that would otherwise likely go unnoticed, and it segments these customers into groups. This is important because, as we know, not all customers provide your franchisees with equal dollar value. But wouldn't it be great if they could easily identify who's who? Well, that's exactly what Transitive does. And what's more, it then accurately drives the appropriate offers to each of those customer groups, delivering specific personalized messages to each of the group's customers. Just like that, your franchisees are engaged in laser-focused target marketing, delivering them much more bang for the buck. You've got to see it to believe it. So what are you waiting for? Order up a demo today and tell them I sent you. Find them online at www.transitive.io. That's www.transitive.io. John Covilli started his career with Dale Carnegie in 1981 as a sales consultant and trainer, rising to becoming the managing director of the St. Louis, Missouri franchise. John then became vice president of franchising for the Northeast region for Dale Carnegie and Associates Corporate. Currently, John is senior VP of franchise sales. He and his team are responsible for the management of all aspects of franchise sales and resales. John, welcome to Franchise Today. Well, thank you, Stan. Thank you very much. Very pleased to be here. Well, I'm very pleased to have you here. I'm more than a little bit familiar with Dale Carnegie, as I think anybody who's lived in America and has lived as long as I have has knowledge of this iconic brand. I'm reminded years back of a place that I worked that made us all go through a program called, I'm thinking it was called Speakeasy, which was an Atlanta-based organization that, similar to, I think, the pieces and parts of Dale Carnegie that I'm most familiar with, which is public speaking. But in preparation for today's interview, I've learned a whole lot more about Dale Carnegie, what it offers beyond just public speaking, and the fact that it is a franchised organization, which in all these years of knowledge of the brand, I never knew that. So I'm going to do a lot more learning. Hopefully, you are going to share a great many nuggets about your iconic growth of a brand that's got legacy behind it, and some of the innovative things that you're doing are truly worth listening to and hearing about and learning more about from you today. So why don't we do what I always do, ask you to rewind the tape for the audience, take us back to that time where franchising found you, and what were you doing, and where was that and when? Well, I started my career, as you uh, mentioned, Stan, in 1981 with Dale Carnegie, and came out of college. I was working with a pharmaceutical company, and one of the uh, one of the things they wanted us to do after our first year was to take the Dale Carnegie course. So I did that, and after a few years in the pharmaceutical business, you know, it was time for something different, time for a change. And I remembered the impact that that program had on me. So I was at a at an event with a friend of mine, and I made the comment. You know, I'm I'm looking to do something different now. And one of them was a Dale Carnegie trainer here in St. Louis. And he introduced me to the managing director of the St. Louis Center. At that time, we hit it off. Uh, the interview went great. And I started there. As you mentioned, I began in sales as a sales consultant, became a sales manager, and then eventually the managing director and ran our St. Louis operation for about seven years. In addition to that, my uncle had prior to that given me a copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People at a wedding. He was a very very successful businessman. He said, here, read this. And um, when you get a chance, take their training. It'll make a big difference in your life. So I had become familiar with it a couple of different ways. And so some of the other hats that you've worn through the years going through the ranks of the organization and climbing the ladder started with training or sales and then training. And sales would be to who? Who were your customers? 
Well, uh, I was based in St. Louis. We did business. Some of the clients that I personally interacted with were, uh, at that time, it was McDonnell Douglas. Today, it's Boeing uh, with Anheuser-Busch, with uh, Olin Brass Company over in uh, Alton, Illinois, AT&T locally, um, and then a whole host of uh, small to mid-sized companies throughout uh, the St. Louis metropolitan area. Talk about some big names. That's impressive. They all had different needs um, that we could address that really uh, impacted the performance of their people, uh, their teams. We had the ability to uh, work with them and help their people uh, improve either in their leadership, communication, interpersonal skills, presentation skills, a whole variety of different skill sets. And are most people like me thinking that Dale Carnegie is just about public speaking? Do you actually open the eyes of many people who have a limited view of, of the things that your company delivers well above and beyond just the obvious? Well, yeah, I mean, that impression is, is certainly still there. And it's, it's one we're proud of because uh, public speaking is certainly, if you, if you look it up and it's it's still today considered one of the biggest fears that people face. And in fact, at one point we had to refer to some research that said it was, it was even uh, more fear fearful to most people than snakes or dying. Hmm. So so it is. I mean, most people aren't used to presenting or communicating in front of a group. It's more of a one-to-one dialogue that they're most comfortable with. Uh, so their confidence isn't where it normally would be because they haven't been trained or they haven't, haven't had the opportunity to do that much. But since then, we have evolved into such a, a diverse organization, both globally and in our product offerings. And all of that has emerged over time because we've always been an organization that responds to the market, responds to the needs of our client. And so over the, the many years we've been in, in business, uh, we've always been able to adapt. You know, and our business today is much different than 38 years ago when I started and far different than when the organization started. In truth, though, it seems to me logical that public speaking or the fear of public speaking is driven by some other internal things that need to be schooled or trained or help people to overcome. I think the public speaking fear or the fear of doing it is is actually just a symptom, right? So the training that you provide helps people get over that symptom. Would that be a correct assessment? Of course. Certainly confidence. Uh, There are a variety of different ways we train and coach people to uh, communicate more clearly, more succinctly uh, in group presentations as well. But that's not the Dale Carnegie course. It's it's not just focused on that. It has a lot to do with uh, interpersonal skills, uh, listening skills, your ability to resolve conflict, just a whole variety of skill sets that are all part of that same program. And are these all pointed to companies like Lockheed and Boeing, or are you offering services to more middle-ranged or even entrepreneurial and smaller companies? Where is the sweet spot if there is one? Well, there is. I mean, uh, if we were to look all across uh, our organization, the sweet spot is probably mid-sized businesses, some that employ anywhere from, from 50 to 500 people. But we also do a lot of global business with large corporations or divisions within companies. And a lot of that work ends up being tailored to a very specific uh, goal or strategy that they're looking to execute and to implement more effectively by uh, the growth and development of their people. So on the smaller businesses, they might send 
individuals to our public offering to help individuals that are up and coming uh, leaders for them to improve their skills. Uh, we They might send a team of people um, and in mid-sized companies, it's often uh, company-wide or within divisions and then big companies that can be in a global nature. John, would you, why don't you track us through the history of the company, its birth and its evolution. You've talked about how it's morphed and changed over time. Where did it all start and when? Well, it started um, in New York at the YMCA uh, in October of 1912. And that was Mr. Carnegie himself. He started it, and he started the program by having people who had an anxiety over speaking, and he would invite them out to attend his session to help coach them uh, on their skill set and, and overcome that anxiety of speaking in front of a group. What he discovered over the years of working with him, there was a common theme that kept coming forth and the people that were taking this program, and a lot of it had to do with their difficulty interacting and dealing with people, you know, particularly difficult uh, individuals. So he went to research this, and he found there was nothing out there written, no books, nothing on it. So he devoted a lot of time to do that, and he researched great leaders and, and across all walks of life, and that began the basis for his uh, landmark book, which was How to Win Friends and Influence People. And when he published that book, it became a, just an instant success. And that changed everything in, for him and the entire organization. So next thing you know, he became a, a celebrity. He was interviewed. Great leaders around the world were uh, consulting with him one-to-one, and he began to structure the program into uh, the format that is similar today, but we offer it in a variety of different formats. And then he began, um, this was even before franchising, he began what would be called a branding organization where he had great men and women that uh, wanted to carry his teachings and his brand forward. And so that started the organization in the United States and spread. Then he introduced new products on sales. You know, we emerged into present, uh, a more structured, formalized presentation program. We had leadership training for managers. And then we became an official franchise organization. And we have now, we have uh, over 180 franchisees in uh, over 80 different countries. And where was his background? What, what qualified him, I guess, when he started this back in 1912? What were his roots? Where did he come from? Uh, he came from a little small town in Missouri, Belton, Missouri. Uh, he attended uh, Warrensburg Teachers College. Uh, that's what it was called at the time. Today, it's Central Missouri State University. And he was an outstanding debater. He loved debate. Not much of an athlete, but he was very, very bright, very learned, and a great debater. And so he, he had a couple different careers that uh, uh, as a salesman and Things never really materialized to the degree that he went wanted, so he went to New York, and um, he began teaching because of a skill at teaching people to communicate more effectively in his debate skills. He started the, the public speaking course, that's what he called it at the time, in New York in 1912, and then it just expanded from there, and he's an icon in our organization. He's considered a uh, in many ways, the father of personal growth and professional growth and development. Are there any family members still involved in the business? Yes. Donna Dale, 
Carnegie is his daughter. She is majority shareholder. We're still privately held, and we're very proud of that. Uh, the network has very strong roots in terms of its history. It's a very family-oriented organization, and that's because of the Carnegies themselves, something that they wanted to keep very important throughout our organization. And it's, uh, if you come to any of our large events, our regional conferences, our international conference, you would you would feel that right away. You would see it, and this is from people from all around the world. It's a wonderful gathering, and it's a great experience. So I would have to believe that when you have an organization that's 100-plus years old, franchising helped me again, began in what year? Uh, the early 90s. So early 90s, even if it were a 20-year agreement, you've come to the maturity, I would think, on a great many of the original franchisees. And some of what we're going to talk about today is how an organization as mature as yours refranchises to help foster new growth and in blood into the organization. I'm curious as to how many of those original franchisees have passed the torch internally as a percentage, if that's even known to you, to keep the franchise in the family as opposed to refranchising with those coming in from the outside? That's a, a great question. I don't have a hard number for you. I can tell you that it's quite a bit. It's quite a few. In some cases, we're now into third generation. In many cases, the, the businesses were run by husband and wife. Then their children came up through the business. They succeeded them. And that's also a reason why you have such a family-oriented uh, sure. feeling. Yeah, when I heard you yeah. talking the way you were talking, you're just screaming culture. Well, a lot, of the, a lot of the franchisees, they would bring their children. And these children became friends. And they grew up together. And they grew up in the business. And they they succeeded their parents hmm. and they they continued to grow the brand and business successfully. So those relationships are very strong. And in today's world of franchising, I think succession and legacy are conversations, but I don't think there are as many brands out there that proactively address that or have programs that proactively speak to that. But I'm told that that's a big part of your culture and that refranchising is something that you're not only doing, but you're doing with purpose and intention of attracting millennials to your brand, which I find really intriguing that a 100 100-plus-year-old company is finding new market opportunities with millennials. Share yeah. with the audience some of the wisdom that you can about the direction that you're taking with doing such. Well, first of all, the, the reason there's refranchising going on is because a lot of the men and women that have been running our franchises have been doing this for 30, 35 years, okay? It's a labor of love. They're passionate about the impact we have in the lives of individuals and organizations. But they're at a point now where they're looking to either semi-retire or retire and do more golfing, traveling, or seeing their grandchildren. But as we've gone on now, you, you look at this this new generation. If you think back, Stan, to what's been happening in the business world today, particularly in, in the United States anyway, you had a generation of baby boomers that are now now retiring, okay? Then there was this gap. A lot of middle management was uh, let go back where in difficult times and companies started to cut back, you know. And um, then you've got this new generation of millennials coming in now, and they're the largest part of the workforce now. But a lot of them haven't been trained on these skills that we teach on interpersonal uh, relationships, leadership skills, communication skills. A conflict resolution and that sort of thing. And they are a generation that wants to make a difference. For them, it's very important that they're involved in something that is very rewarding to them. They want to be involved in organizations that contribute to the community, uh, certainly that gives them a good income. 
but what they're doing matters. And so our brand is tailor-made for that. You can make a nice income, make a nice living running a franchise, but yet you're involved in a business that has such a big impact for people and for organizations. And so this generation is really attracted to that. We provide outstanding support and training. The millennial generation thrives on being able to learn and to grow. And what better way to find and do that through uh, Dale Carnegie training? We're all about growth and development. And so that's the business we're in. And so we provide the same thing to, to our people. Our franchisees are terrific at challenging and developing their people. When we come back from our break, we're going to dive more deeply into the franchising aspects of the business. As we go to break, though, I wonder, do you ever find that those that have come through the training as the result of being employed someplace where their employer was providing these courses, does that become a pool of opportunity you find for franchisees coming out of that training saying, I want to own one of these or I can do this? Oh, absolutely. And very much so. That's the best source. Well, it seems such. It makes nothing but sense to me. Tell you what, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into more discussion about the different types of offerings that are available, who's eligible for which and why, and how you assess that. And we'll talk all about the franchising program in just a moment. But first, this break. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle. Providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online and like magic, Zoracle's algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk, their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball. But there's no hoodoo here. It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today and take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zoracle, spot on assessments based on science, but delivering results that seem simply magical. Check them out at www.zoracleprofiles.com. And we're continuing our conversation today with John Cavilli, who is Senior Vice President of All Things Relevant to Franchise Sales and Resales for the iconic Dale Carnegie Organization, who has been in business since 1912, franchising since the 90s, and making lots of differences in the lives of those that they serve, as well as their franchise network of owners. So let's talk some more, John, about the different types of opportunity, because it would seem from what I've seen on the website that you've got an opportunity that almost fits any bill. So talk about the different ways you bring the franchise to market. Well, first, it all begins with the existing franchise partner of ours that uh, decides, okay, it's time. Our first source is someone already within the network. I mean, because they've been in, they they understand our organization. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're all about growing and developing people. So 
if they've got someone in their organization, in fact, one of the things we do there is if they need more operational training, they have what we call a future franchise partner uh, program. So <clears throat> we we get them involved in our training for a franchisee, you know, as, as much as maybe a year out, maybe a year and a half out from when they might succeed the existing franchise owner. So we do that internally for candidates outside. We have a variety of different sources that we use to help us market the brand. Since we're operating in very specific territory, we have to try to geo-target as best we can. It doesn't do us any good to get a really great candidate for in Massachusetts for someone that's in Arizona. So we try to geo-target that. We target for a certain type of profile of an individual, someone with business experience, sales experience, uh, all the obvious integrity and and honesty, and, and uh, but someone that's shown leadership skills, has built a team, has good business acumen. And then we start our internal process. We share with them all of our support systems. They meet some of the team, and we go through our internal process along with our selling franchise partner. And eventually, we come to a decision. By then, they're oriented to our brand, and we connect them with our launch team, and off we go. How do you market specifically to millennials without giving away your secret sauce about your own brand? But I'm saying in terms of marketing to millennials, I'm sure our audience of emerging franchisors would do well to learn from an organization like yours that targets millennials specifically. What are some of the ways you go about doing that that would be beneficial to share with the audience? Well, I would imagine a lot of them are using some of the similar things. I mean, we're using social media. We've got, you know, regular PR campaigns that builds upon our strength and our brand and why that might be attractive to this newer generation of of leaders. Many of them, uh, of the millennials, they're like a lot of people. They want to do something for themselves, own something, a business of theirs, but not necessarily have to be alone in, in trying to create it and establish it. So we appeal to that. We have a, a model a business model that we operate from, that we can train them on. They're in business for themselves, but not by themselves. And so we appeal to those things through social media, through just a whole variety of different marketing tools, specific uh, email campaigns, uh, messaging on our uh, website, on our franchise sales website. So it's a variety of tools that we're using to uh, emphasize our brand and why it's such a wonderful business to be in. And then you offer multiple opportunities for bolting on to existing businesses or those that might be in a business that would benefit without being in any kind of a direct covenant not to compete. So share a little bit about different ways that you bring people in. Sure. Actually, there's quite a few uh, very good parallel businesses that work very well with us. For example, um, when up in uh, North Dakota, initially that was an individual who was running the business and it was eventually sold to an accounting firm, a very large accounting firm in that area. Very good parallel business because they've got clients, they consult with their clients on their business side. And when they do that, they find that a lot of these companies are, are looking to uh, develop their people, to grow their leadership teams, and we're a good fit for that. Uh, human resource 
consultant, very good, or people with a human resource background, very good candidate, sales leaders who have led larger organizations or a sales team, they're good candidates within uh, within their own business or their own industry, candidate in IT and technology consulting. We're screening and talking with a gentleman now who's got a consulting business in, in technology, so he does consulting with businesses on their technology strategy, but he also finds that those people are also looking to on the people side of their business. So it's a good parallel business for for that individual as well. I'm reading some statistics that tell me that in 2014, corporate training spending was approximately $70 billion in the U.S., $130 billion worldwide. In 2018, global corporate training was sitting at over $200 billion with no signs right. of slowing down. So this is a huge segment of the market in terms of opportunity. Who else is in this space besides you? I mean, I'm sure the Sandler training comes to mind. How many of these sure iconic names and training are out there? Oh, there's quite a few, but it's it's also kind of a, a very, in a lot of ways, we refer to it as a, a fractured kind of business. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is you have a, a variety of different players, but it, it all depends on certain segments, okay? So, for example, there are bigger players. When you get into large corporate contracts, that's a whole different set of of people that develop on leadership and a variety of other things. Those could be just a handful of companies there. When you get into smaller businesses or local, you'll see a consultant who who have a boutique, Very can be a very effective consulting firm, but their expertise is in a particular business or a particular industry. Colleges and universities anymore are also looking to add this to their uh, curriculum. Today, people are looking for business leaders. They're not certainly an important thing. Getting a degree is, is very, very important. But also, it's very important to be able to learn how to work with and lead teams and get things done through uh, others, especially in a workforce that can be so decentralized now because of technology. Uh, people might have to lead a team based in one one location, but they may, for example, our team, we might have people from different parts of the globe, different sure. uh, countries. So that creates wonderful opportunity. And you're seeing the growth in the industry now because the transference from the baby boomers over to millennials. So there's a, a big need for that continued growth and development. How have you been impacted by the fact that the labor market is unemployment wise is at an all time low and the competition for potential franchisees amongst franchisors in the community has always been aggressive enough. But now when you're competing with job recruiters at the same time, offering signing bonuses here, take a check and take this job as compared to you who's asking somebody to write a check and start a business. How has that impacted you over these last two or three years? And what do you see as a a way to combat that? Well, actually, the last two or three years, the number of inquiries into our type of business has actually gone way up. And there's a couple different reasons for that. I was just talking to uh, a young man the other day who has been with his organization, came out of college, was he's a young guy and doing very well with what he was doing. But he said, you know what? I'm traveling all over the place. I want to do something for myself. And I want to do it locally. Well, we're a perfect fit for that. So people still have the drive and motivation. It's still a very dream for a lot of the people to be their own boss. Uh, the nice thing about us and with franchising is you can be your own boss, but you don't have to reinvent everything yourself. You don't have to create from scratch. You've got an ongoing business, in our case, that's got a retained client base, that's got uh, people in place, systems in place, 
You don't have to create that from scratch. It's there. And who would you recommend to be a franchisee? What's the greatest skill set that a potential franchisee has to bring with them? What is the profile of one of your best franchisees? What's that look like? Well, outside the the integrity and honesty and and those things, which are, those are absolutes for sure. You got to have that. But it's very important. A a person has to be able to demonstrate good leadership skills. Our our businesses, these are men and women who, you know, they're not leading multi-billion dollar companies. They're going to organize and create a very nice business in their local area. And that business is going to, a great degree, depend upon that person's ability to attract like-minded people, motivated for the same goals and ambitions, and bring them along, help them develop, and be part of a, a strong culture at a local level. So leadership skills, the ability to present, the ability to interact well with businessmen and women from all walks of life, uh, you might be, you might have an important business business call with uh, a small local accounting firm, and then you might have a meeting in the afternoon with a senior executive of a large company. So you got to be comfortable with people from, from different walks of life. So those are some of the most important qualities. And you got to have a passion for this work. What would you tell a franchisor who hasn't proactively addressed resales and legacy in terms of their everyday business? Let the franchisees worry about that. What's your best counsel to those franchisors that fit that Well, here's the thing. Brand is the single most important factor for a franchisor. I mean, there's a lot of important things to be a great franchisor, but certainly uh, sustaining your brand and spreading your brand, critical piece. So franchisors need to pay attention to that, and particularly when they're bringing in uh, new franchisees, new franchise partners to succeed what's already been there. Uh, what's already created a nice base of business in their local market. So it's it's very important for them to be engaged in that process and have the tools and the assistance to the franchisees that are selling to help them find the right kind of person, the right kind of people to replace them. You know, in, in businesses and companies, you know, it's important to find your replacement to find and bring people along. Well, same thing when you own a business. John, we've come to the portion of the interview where I ask my guests weekly to help me with a question that you wished I might have asked and didn't. Is there any question that I haven't asked you that you wished I did? Um, nothing off the top of my head, Stan. I can't, I can't think of it. I appreciate the opportunity to share my experiences, what I've experienced with this uh, wonderful organization of ours. Well, you've had a lengthy career there, and you're one of the few left in today's world, I guess, that can call themselves a lifer, because I think as times have changed, I think one company careers for many have also changed. So congratulations to you for landing right the first time and, and making it stick. John, for well, those here's who... Well, here's the thing, I, and it, you, you didn't ask this, but uh, you asked there it is. a question. I, I've been here for 38 years. But when I talk to people, I tell them I've had eight different careers in this company, uh, and that's a testimony to the to the family, to the organization. I've had an opportunity to reinvent myself about eight or nine different times, taking on new challenges, doing different things. So it's not like 38 years of doing the same thing. It's more like 38 years of learning and growing in eight different roles. Touche. John, how does the audience get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more about any of the things that we've discussed today or anything else about the Dale Carnegie organization? How about some contact info? Sure. Email address is john, J-O-H-N dot Covilli, C-O-V like victory, I-L-L-I at dalecarnegie.com. Dale Carnegie is one word, D-A 
L-E-C-A-R-N-E-G-I-E.com. And my phone number, best to get me, I'm on the road all the time, is 314-409-0102. That's my mobile, and that's the best way to get to John, I appreciate you carving out some time to join us and share some of your wisdom today and leave some nuggets behind for the audience of emerging franchisors, always anxious to learn from those who have come before them. Appreciate it again, and thank you so much for joining us today. You bet, Sam. Thank you. That wraps it up for another episode of Franchise Today. Please remember to subscribe to Franchise Today at Block Talk Radio and that you can download us from iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or virtually any place that podcasts are found. Remember, too, that you can also ask Alexa to play the latest episode of Franchise Today. Please like us on Facebook and let me hear from you with recommendations for guest interviews as well as any thoughts or comments you'd like to share. You can find all of my contact info on my LinkedIn profile, and I'll be happy to hear from you, whether it's good, bad, or even ugly. Until next week, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.